Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On today's show, we jump in the DeLorean and travel back to a time of Britpop and Braveheart where I get to relive Everton's past glory and a game-changer of a season for United. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of A Pod of Two Halves. We've been away for... I was going to say various reasons, but there's basically been one reason we've been away. It's because there's no football. And the reason there's no football is because there's something called the coronavirus making its way across the world, basically ruining everyone's lives. Um, Obviously, my name is Michael Cardin-Edwards. You've heard me before. If you're new, welcome to the show. This isn't like what the show usually is about. But we're going to press on because we're back with a special. I'm here with Lee. How are you, my friend? Hello, buddy. You good? I'm good. I've seen you every day now, forever. I know. I feel like you're living in each other's lives, literally. Now, Lee has got a bit of an upgrade this week because he's got his work laptop in front of him. No more notepad. No hey, more notepad. So he's joining the 21st century. He's a little bit sexy. He feels prepared. Yeah. yeah? Got, got, a, got a thing. No, no rustling either. That'll make you happy. No rustling. No fucking rustling. Perfect. And I'm here with Woods. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good, man. Yeah. Surviving. Staying safe. So, yeah, all good. I'm looking forward to this one. Well, we haven't been here. We, uh, we obviously decided at the end of the season, uh, the end of the season, when the season was basically called off, that uh, we weren't going to do a podcast every week because it was pretty pointless when all we could do is basically do endless speculation about stuff that we had no idea was going to happen. So, um, you know, we said at the time that we would come back every now and again for a special of sorts. And here we are with a special of sorts. Um, basically, this, season, this episode, we're going to be discussing the 1994-1995 season. Because, as Wood so rightfully put it, just before we went on, on, on air here, this was the last time Lee Collard felt any joy as a football fan. <laughs> and um, 
So we've done a bit of research, um, but before we get in all to all of that, obviously we should address kind of how things are at the moment. Um, football is cancelled, or not cancelled. Is it cancelled, delayed, suspended, postponed. Is the word? Yeah. Postponed. Um, the only thing basically in the world that's going on still is pro wrestling somehow, um, which is baffling. <laughs> Dana White, the UFC, oh, this is, so good. is trying to buy an island. It's so good, mate. I love this. I love the fact that he is so... Dana White's got a lot of flaws, but he wants to put on a, on a show. He wants to put on a fight. And the fact that he's got a founder geezer that will clearly allow him to use his island for these fights... It's, this is this, I just love this, mate. It's so good. I mean, it's completely and utterly preposterous. Can we just cover one thing as well? You, you, obviously, like you say, wrestling went on. Uh, Vince, Vince McMahon says the show must go on, so it must. Um, WrestleMania 36 will be remembered for two of the most incredible wrestling matches which weren't wrestling matches in history. I loved it. There's some, there was I, know, a lot I of- know which one of these is because I watched one last night with Michael and there was, uh, it was weird. It was so, so weird. So weird, but so good. So good. Such a spectacle, which they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. What they would have done otherwise was in a big stadium, they would have basically put in a load of stuff from Bray Wyatt's funhouse and it would have been dog shit. What they ultimately made, because they were able to go and produce something, not having to uh, sell it to the fans in a stadium, was just just incredible cinema. It was uh, genuinely brilliant. (laughs) I want. Um, I think the Undertaker has lengthened his career by about ten years because he could do these matches every fucking year comfortably. Yes, yeah. This is his best match in uh, probably the best part of a decade. Yeah, it was great. Anyway, we digress. Massively we digress. digress. Um, Thomas Woods, the floor is yours. Yes, yes. Scumbag football teams. Um, we're in a real difficult time, aren't we? Uh, we're. We're not capable of working. We ain't got any football. Um, the government are seeing themselves good enough, uh, which I think is a kind of against type for, for the Tories to do this, but they, they've obviously seen the situation where a lot of people aren't capable of working right now because uh, a lot of companies have had to shut their doors. Uh, they've had to stop manufacturing because of this social distancing. Um, and as such, the government have set up a scheme to allow companies to furlough their staff to prevent these individuals being basically breadlined. Um because the companies, if the companies were to continue paying them, they'd basically go out of business. That's why this furlough system exists. Um, and it's excellent because it means that people can kind of continue their lives with uh, roughly, uh, I believe it's 80% of their, their salary, two and a half grand a month to these people. Um, so a really good scheme. A scheme which uh, scumbag owner Mike Ashley, uh, scumbag chairman um, Dan Levy and... <laughs> Up to uh, about a day ago, Scumbag Football Club Liverpool, who are the, usually usually they put themselves on a on a pedestal. These sort of things, right? Usually, I find that the, actually the city of Liverpool is actually usually quite liberal. They're usually on the right side of history. I kind of feel. Obviously, there's some debatable stuff. I know that Lee will uh, probably <laughs> remember, but it, um, they all decided to furlough their non-playing staff um, instead of paying their staff now. Two clubs in particular on this are Tottenham and Liverpool. Both played in the Champions League final less than uh, 12 months ago. Both reported massive profits. In fact, Tottenham reported, uh, I think it was a record profit only in March. Um, And instead of paying their non-paying staff, they're basically asking the taxpayers to do it 
which is nothing short of disgraceful uh, because these football clubs aren't at any risk of going out of business. That's not what's going on here. It's purely a business decision to take advantage of a government scheme which has been put in place to save small business, to save uh, people who, say, are are baristas at coffee shops or uh, waiters and chefs at restaurants. Uh, That's what this has been put in place because those things cannot open and they will literally go out of business if they have to keep paying their staff. These football clubs aren't in that position. Now, I'm not surprised by Mike Ashley. No one's surprised by Mike Ashley. He was always going to do this. He's a scumbag. Newcastle fans know he's a scumbag. And the sooner that scumbag is out of football, the better. No scumbag, one... by the way, that uh, continued to keep his fucking shops open. This is the well. wild thing as well, because he kind of saw it. Well, everyone's going to still need to buy their replica football shirts and their Donny trainers, right? <laughs> so... And their Slazenger T-shirts. Um so Newcastle kind of gone a little bit under the radar because Tottenham decided to t- basically take the brunt of the media backlash to this. Um, but Daniel Levy literally gives zero fucks. Like, he embraces being the villain. That's all I can interpret. Apparently, he's thinking about getting the ground staff to look after his garden whilst they're not looking, <laughs> looking after the, the pitch and everything, which is incredible. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. So they're, 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 they're going to look after his, his garden... But we're going to be paying it? No, because they will no longer be furloughed. So those are the not pitch, going to be the pitch, they won't be. The, the, uh, everyone else, the other 500 and whatever So he's stuff. not going to get the caterers to come around and start cooking I mean, for if he does, like if he does, he, I mean, ultimately, if he's, he's been pressed into basically paying them, I bet he will. Um, <laughs> but Liverpool, I think Liverpool was a shock to a lot of people when they furloughed their staff because, it, like I said, they, they, they hold themselves as um, more than a club. Let's put it that way. Um, and it was just a ridiculous situation because they must have seen the feedback that, that Tottenham got. And subsequently, the uh, the media backlash was, was vicious on Liverpool, and rightly so. And they've ultimately taken the decision to rectify their wrong um, and unfurlough their staff, which was the right thing to do in the first place. Uh, something that they've garnered a lot of uh, media applause um, which I kind of feel is wrongly placed Um, you shouldn't applaud people because they uh, went back on a bad decision which shouldn't be made in the first place through pressure and bad PR because that's all this is Um, and it was a move by I don't things you've got to remember as well Liverpool aren't Liverpool. It's basically the same as robbing a bank, getting bad press for it, and then going, oh, we'll give the money back then. Pretty much. That's, you know what? That, that's a pretty good analogy. Now, the one thing that I will say about both well, Liverpool is that they are owned by Americans. And I think that the fans see it as a football club. The Americans see it as a business. And they see it as a business because these owners uh, own the Boston Red Sox. Um, and they basically turfed out their best player and arguably one of the top three players in baseball because they didn't want to pay him which from what I've read and listened to sounds like they're putting themselves in a position to sell the baseball club, basically. This similarly feels like a move where when you're trying to sell something, you want to keep your costs low, right? And I just wonder if these owners, because Liverpool stock ain't ever going to be higher. European champions, soon to be Premier League champions, Jurgen Klopp, everything that goes with it. And I just wonder if maybe they're positioning themselves to sell the club. That's... There's nothing out there that's saying about this, but it just feels to me that's the only thing that I can understand that went through the club's mind when they furloughed their staff. Can we, uh, can we claim this as a, as a pod of two halves exclusive then when Liverpool are in, in, in fact sold in, in a year's time? <laughs> Absolutely. The, uh, the rumour started now that Liverpool are going to be sold to someone. Um, now, who's got the money to buy that? They're going to be sold to a Saudi prince. 
And at that point, Liverpool immediately lose all of this holier-than-thou because they're basically taking blood money. Um, so... He paints quite the tail, doesn't he? He really does. So that, no, he hasn't got his transfer rumours to go on. I mean, to I can go on about transfer rumours, but I, you know what? I, I think I spoke to you guys, <laughs> didn't I, um, about this during the week. I hate Twitter. I hate Twitter with a passion right now because all I've got is just junk from Arsenal fans putting up their, their 11s that they're expecting next season, which consist of 250 to 300 million pounds worth of signings, none of whom are going to sign for this football club because they ain't playing Champions League football next year. And that um, Cronkey, Cronkey's not going to basically put his hand in his pocket and pull out a big fat check because he's too busy paying for his stadium. People forget this. They aren't a, lot, a big a lot, club. The thing is, I mean, I don't want to play devil's advocate because I, I Go for it. agree the majority of what you're saying, to be honest. But uh, aren't, aren't the uh, Premier League clubs, you know, they're exp- I know they're already loaded, the vast majority are, but they do heavily rely on the TV money. Ooh. And if that TV money is then withdrawn because they're not playing the games... You're, you're 100% can- right. You're 100% right. This window that's going to come up, I think you're going to see a lot of clubs being like, we cannot do business at the numbers that... Because I think that... Neymar changed the market, right? PSG and Neymar changed the market and it went to stupid town. Um, and for what it's worth, Jose called it. Jose said when they spent 90 million on Pogba, that will look like a bargain in 12 months. And it did. Um, that market, I think, will reset itself after this. But I think it will take time for clubs, selling clubs, to appreciate that. I did see someone suggest that it's a buyer's market, um, this window. I just can't quite see. I guess in the sense that football clubs might be poorer. That might be it. This is it. Teams are now going to be sitting there, and unless you're, unless you have like a, a, a jewel, a, 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 a jewel in the crown, like like a Sancho, who you can hold out for, mm. you can hold out and say, actually, we want 150 million quid. I think the transfer. I mean, the amount of players that we've seen go over the last couple of years for 40 million. And you're like, who? Yeah. You know, I, I think the I think that's the area that's going to be impacted because now you're not going to have Newcastle going, yeah, man, we can spunk 40 million on they Joe can't. Linton. That, that, that kind of player who we know isn't worth 40 million, that will go down in my opinion, which is the right thing in all honesty yeah. because this isn't sustainable. It's not. No, football football's lost its mind on transfers. Um, what, what's... Um Sorry, Woods. What's, yeah, I said, what's people's thoughts then on, on the whole uh, player, you know, defaulting their wages? So then, oh, what, that, at the moment it's thirty percent, isn't it? I, I want to touch on this. Actually, that's a fair feel... point because I saw Wayne Rooney come out and, and he obviously had mm. very strong opinions. And I completely agree with him because I think it's absolutely ridiculous of the government to be looking at footballers to cough up thirty percent of their salary, uh, for effectively pay for the for the NHS. So Lee's just fucked off. I don't know where he's gone. Oh, he's back. He needs some, he needed some light. Um, oh, mate, you can just carry it on there. Got the window open, mate. It's not very bright, though. But um, So Wayne Rooney obviously came out and criticised Matt Hancock. Completely correct. Matt Hancock was way, way out of line, basically suggesting that footballers need to cough up money, especially when he's got all his billionaire mates that are basically financing the Tory party. That could reach into Matt Hancock pockets. sat there and he went, excellent, I've been asked about this. Yes, absolutely. He, he he got given an opportunity and he took it. Um, footballers are being treated like garbage right now and it's bullshit. Um, the only time they should be taking a salary cut is to ensure that the staff which were being furloughed could be covered. That's it. All this nonsense about them coughing up 30% to give to the NHS, they already give enough to the NHS because of tax. Um, that's where the money goes. I, I think it's disgusting that they're being hounded the way they are. And I think that the, the media are obviously pushing it because the media are all the billionaires. Yeah. 
And they're going, this is great because they aren't looking for handouts from us anymore. They're looking at footballers. And footballers, like Wayne Rooney says, 30% to me, I can live with it. I'm a multi-millionaire several times over. A lot of my teammates aren't. And asking them to take a 30% pay cut, they can't like survive. I know it sounds ridiculous, but not everyone earns 200 grand a week. That's a footballer. I felt in, in terms of it, like the, the Premier League were the only teams that I would go, no one should be furloughed. Simple as that. There should be uh, salary sacrifices from the players. And I felt that Liverpool missed this because I think that I can only assume that they didn't discuss it with the players before they went and did it. Because I'm sure if you went to the players and went, look, <laughs> and this is the main thing, their, their salary is 310, their wage bill is 310 million per year, uh, which is 25 million a month. And they were looking for the government to pay 250,000 a month to cover these salaries and that's 1% of their wage bill. I'm sure you could go ask the players and go, we just need 1% to pay for this. And they would have gone, absolutely. Um, I do feel that Levy's playing a power game as well for what it's worth because he went out and I can't imagine that he's even spoke to the players. Um, and I'm, I don't think he knows who they are. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, um, I'm... I'm amazed there's not more pressure on certain individuals for that low, one. Low, low Kel, so who? <laughs> Who's this guy? Because uh, Harry Kane's England's captain and he is silent on this. And I think... I'm not sure Harry Kane quite understands what's happening. Yeah, he probably doesn't understand what's happening. <laughs> That's maybe the problem. I kind of feel that... And then again, I feel I that Levy's... I thought you were going to launch into an impression. I was, I was going to say, no, I was, was going to launch into an impression, but I was going to come in with something, but no. Le- Levy has played a power game on his players there to mug them off, basically. He's, he's put... He's put basically... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he's put, put it in my head. He's put, he's put them in a real difficult position by furloughing the staff um, and obviously just kind of sitting back and going, I don't give a fuck. It's bad PR for you lot because you're the ones that are going to be asked to cut your salary to pay for it. Uh, although Liverpool somewhat saved their bacon on that because the second Liverpool did it, everyone forgot that Spurs had did it. Yeah, it's not great. But the, the idea that they should cough up 30% for the NHS, fuck off. Go ask the billionaires to cough up 30% because that's actually, uh, you know, they're not going to acknowledge losing money because they've got so much money that they could live uh, like a thousand lifetimes. Well, let, well let's move on. Let's move on. Um, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I just agree with Woods to an extent. Um, I felt like, you know, it could have been actually a positive PR if the players actually kind of maybe, as they were saying, they've been, you know, they've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, like, like Jordan Henderson, you know, they did want to provide money for the NHS and it would have been wonderful. But the fact is, it's kind of, They've almost beaten to it. They have. If you are to believe them. Um, what I was going to say though as well, it is horrible that football footballers have just been picked on because there's plenty of sports stars out there. You know, if we're just going to look in the region of sport alone, if you take away football, we've got like Lewis Hamilton, he's on like 40 million a year or something, isn't he? Yeah. At Mercedes. Right. And the, you know, obviously everything else that goes with it. Yeah. But he's... But yeah. It is, it's crazy. I, I feel... It's, I, the, it's that thing though, sorry to interrupt, it's that thing, it's one of the things that I think uh, Rooney came out and said... Or Martin Henderson, where they said, you know, we don't know what the money would be spent on. No, and that's fair because Wayne, I think it was Wayne Rooney said, if you come and ask me to pay for some ventilators, I'll do it. But that's yeah. not what's happening here. That he, isn't what's happening. Because you know it will go in someone's pocket, mate. Yeah. Someone, the, is, someone is going to be taking, going to be getting off this, man. Yeah. They'd be better off supporting local communities if, you know, like, you know, the, the, 
the teams that they play for, the local area. Like Rashford's been doing. Like exactly. Been what, doing. And this is it. They, they, all the good stuff. That's how they can benefit with All the money. good stuff. So I know Manchester United have obviously come out and said they're not furloughing City as well. Chelsea had announced that. Um, a lot of these football clubs and players have done such positive stuff and it's just all been lost because there's this whole stupid narrative that football should give up their salaries for the NHS and it's just nonsense. It's just a nonsense. That's what it's the, dude, it's the world we live in, generalising, right? Mm. We, you know, that's mm. just how it is. Um, let's move on. Let's move on um, to a... Uh, I was going to say a happier time. I mean, it's a happier time. Of course it is a happier time. You know, back in the 90s, things were fun. Young and naive. Young and naive. I think we were discussing what you guys were nine, I was eight at this time, this season. Yep, yep. Um, 94, 95 season. So I'll, I'll begin by saying that we've done our research I know, Woods, you've been watching football years and you've watched the road to the FA Cup and things. Yep. Myself and Lee sat down on Sunday afternoon and we watched the entirety of the 1994-95 FA Cup final between Everton and Manchester United. And we should probably highlight it wasn't the greatest quality in terms of not only the actual game itself, but the actual quality of the, you know, of the screen. Oh, they were blurry, mate. It, it, they were it pretty was, blurry. It was fucking awful. Um, I'll ask you firstly... What are your thoughts? Not on the, you know, obviously you won the fucking trophy. Fine. Yay. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, what, like, what was the biggest difference you found in terms of the game then and the game now? What was the one thing? Because I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I know. It almost feels too obvious. It, the, the, the brutality, is that a good word to use? I think that's the perfect word. Because we look, we look back and we always say, you know, there was a, this huge narrative back in the day when it was like, oh, you know, foreign players can't come into the Premier League. You know, they get, well, I can't handle it. You know, I think I said something on the podcast a while ago, Bobby Pires, where he was saying that he, he was the first half of the game, he was on the bench. And then he was like, I don't think I can handle this. Like, fuck that. And honestly, we watched this game and the, the, the brutality is the correct word. I, I, it was shocking how just unbelievably just <laughs> devastating <laughs> these tackles were. And like the, the, the one booking, right? Until then, it was what? like the 86th minute. Yeah, right was like, towards what? the end of the game. You know what it does? You know when uh, your old man always used to go, oh, football ain't like it is, you know, these days, you know, it's all changed, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, literally, that's how I felt watching that game. I, I was, like, making comparisons, like, you know, when there was a tackle made and... You, and like, you know, you're thinking, fuck me, that's that's like a red card. And it literally, the guy just gets up. That's a fucking, like, it's a red card. Not only like is it a, a red match card. Ban. It's, yeah. <laughs> and the guy just gets up and shrugs it off. You know, now we'd have players rolling over, yeah. you know, everything. Like the, the, the whole charade of, you know, when something like that happens. And in this, you know, you know, I would say like cliche, but it was a man's game, you know, because that's literally what it was. They they just did not give a shit. Not, it was, it was not the gnarly. only sport that's gone that way, though. Like sport in general has gone the way the basketball like you only have to hear the guys from like the 80s and 90s and they look at how they're played now and like they're like Michael Jordan would put up 60 a night because he's not getting hand checked he's not basically getting bodied every time he goes into the paint the NFL have had to change their rules because basically people were playing with concussions the whole time even Formula 1 even Formula 1 they're all soft now it used to be a case if you have a collision you have a collision you get on with it you basically have an argument afterwards that was it now I kind of get Kind of, See, this is why I don't watch Formula One because it's boring as fuck. Because all they do because is moan the, over the, the thrill radio. Of motor racing, the thrill of motor racing is the fact that there could be a crash anytime soon. And right? this is it. And it's, now all, it's just dull. It's all just um, sterilized. Yeah. And football has benefited from it. And then the NBA has benefited from it. And to an extent, yeah. the NFL has benefited because what you end up with is uh, incredible athletic feats 
um, every time you watch it, players being able to to uh, express themselves without the fear of someone scything them in half. Uh, so so it, there is benefit to it, uh, but there is also the case to say, you know, when you watch one of these old school games, yes, it's a harder watch because we use a higher pace and everything. But there is, you know, no, no the pace. I think the pace is there. Oh, really? It was end to end. It was. It's, it's literally. Doubt, but it's like classic that probably benefited from the fact ball. that Everton took the lead, right? I can't imagine it was two end to end before Everton, Everton took the lead in that game. And we 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 kind of like we're talking about this now. I wanted to talk about Everton's ninety five season, Manchester United's ninety five season because they're quite interesting tales in themselves. Because oh, absolutely, we can end we can end with the final for sure. Yeah. So let, let, we'll save the discussion on the final. So I guess the best place to start. Everton's 95 season um, because it started as a horror show and ultimately horror show. culminated in a success that's been out there on its own now for 25 years is it this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a quarter of a century. Jesus. It's fucking long, isn't it? That is a long um, time, mate. Yeah, I mean, just to add as well to what we're kind of talking about, um, you know, if something happens now, like uh, where you know a team's in a relegation zone, but then they go, they don't, they don't want to go on an FA Cup run because it hinders their chance to stay in in the Premier League. You know, the much, you know, wonderful Premier League with all its money. Exactly. Back then, they, it was a good way of you know recapturing form or you know utilizing form and actually getting something out of the season. I mean, maybe it was in hindsight we were a bit lucky because obviously we didn't end up in a relegation battle, so to speak. Not like we had the season before. Yeah. But um, very much at the beginning of the season, as was uh, t- touched upon, we, we were shambolic. We really were. We, um, we had started off the season with um, Mike Walker, who had come in from Norwich. I think successful. In, um, Real successful. Yeah, he, he was very good at Norwich. I think he took him to like second or third, didn't he? Yeah, and went third, into, into yeah. Europe, beat right. Bayern Munich. Classic night. Um, so, yeah, we well, obviously I think we were hoping to sign a, you know, maybe an up-and-coming manager that maybe gone not under the radar so to speak but until he'd gone to Norwich and done some things but uh, it turns out that uh, you know apparently his tactics weren't probably all there uh, his man management was abysmal yeah. and he basically wasn't a leader which is why we, we, we uh, really struggled um, for you know the 94-95 season but we had actually struggled the season before as well we, uh, we'd only survived on the, on the last day of the season um, and we were got we gone two 0 down to Wimbledon. And it's like quite quite a famous game in Everton folklore in terms of uh, yeah we were two 0 down and we were literally getting relegated that day only to score three goals and and yeah basically survive on on by the skin of our teeth pretty much. So um, the uh, why you know if the, if put it that put it this way if that if that happened today, Mike Walker isn't manager the following season. You know it's like right you got you. Well, you probably wouldn't even been there there to get us through to you know through the relegation battle, but ultimately he did. Um, he should have been just gone. But you know, like I said, different times. You know, managers as we know probably given a lot longer time then. And uh, yeah, so we started off the season with uh, with wonderful Mike Walker, which is probably one of the main reasons why we struggle so badly. I mean, if you, I mean, I've got some stat. Well, not so much stats, but uh, I can read off the list of his games for the ninety four ninety five season, just in terms of if it was a win, loss, or draw. And there's not many wins, so it starts off like this. So we go: draw, loss, 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 draw, loss, draw, loss, draw, loss, 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 draw, win. He got a win, and then another draw towards the. Basically, in his last three games, he was actually unbeaten. But uh, as, as you can tell, all those losses and, and, and draws Jesus probably uh, kind of already nailed him. He's uh, nailed in the coffin to, to fuck off, basically. 
Um, so yeah, then we obviously we had Big Joe Royal come in, who is an absolute Everton legend from the, I think it was the sixties. Right there, sounds about right. right. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it, he come in, I think, from Oldham, who'd already actually had a decent cup run themselves uh, against Man United um, when they got knocked out in the semi-finals, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Hughes. With a, with a really good goal, good volley, wasn't it? Oh, we're not appreciating Mark Hughes yeah, on well, this show, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, and then uh, Joe Royal come round and we, we, we turned it around. But I, I kind of wanted to also mention some of our signings that we made that summer as well, going, uh, well, 94 into 95. Uh, so we had uh, Daniel Amakachi, uh, was our one of our big signings. He came in at three million after his uh, World Cup performances. Yeah. Um, we had Vinny Samways for 2.2 million from Spurs. Uh, and, a, and a guy, you, I don't know if you're going to know him, David Burrows. Yeah, man. Yeah, he went on to play for Coventry after... after I had yeah. loads of his sticker. Sticker, yeah, I was going to say, that's David Burrows. Is, yeah. I, I, I was, before we was actually prepping for this pod, I was, um, I've been reading like stuff about Everton, you know, like, you know, 10 worst ever signings. He featured in one of them. <laughs> he basically, he joined in August and he was gone by March. This is in a time where there wasn't a transfer window, so basic players can go to and from pretty much whenever they wanted. And uh, yeah, he went to West Ham. We made a, a, a loss on him, a, good, a healthy loss at the time as well. I think like a good six hundred grand. Um, it was a lot in those days. Which was a lot in those days. Um, but bewilderingly, we, we we sold we sold Tony Cotty, who had been like our leading goalscorer for the previous, I think, two seasons. Um, and we didn't really re- well. We replaced him with Daniel Amakachi, but. Uh, I feel like we need probably stronger reinforcements as well. And taking a punt uh, on on a guy that had never played in the Premier League was uh, probably well, it, it didn't pay off. I mean, Daniel Amakachi. We'll discuss it later on, probably when we get to maybe the FA Cup period of, of the chat. But uh, Daniel Amakachi is very much like a cult hero, but uh, never actually produced the goods that much. Ah, uh, one of them. Yeah, one of those. Like a Fresino Espria, you know, for, for Newcastle, you know. Always it gets remembered for the odd goal he scored, but yeah. overall didn't score that many. And big, basically lost in the league. So, big yeah. dunk signed that, that summer? <laughs> yeah, he, no, he didn't. He came in, in, in he's actually Mike Walker's uh, last signing. Was he really? He signed him on loan and then got sacked. So he came in for a month on loan in, uh, in November. Um, or October, November, from and Rangers, then we signed right? him. Yeah. yeah, and we then signed him for four point four million from Rangers. Did you know as well that Duncan Ferguson was the British record transfer when he went to Rangers? Like he went from Dundee to Rangers for like I think it was like four point six million. Or Jesus, was it really? He was a ninety three, uh, and yeah, he was the British record. Wow. Because um, Rangers back then, because that must have been around the time when they got Gazza as well, right? Couldn't have been. It must have been a couple of years after, but. No, touch, just to touch season before, I reckon, because Gaza was there like Euro 96 time, wasn't he? He was. 95, 96. So, yeah, maybe about season before. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Joe Royal's first game in charge was Liverpool, right? It was, yeah. Big derby. And uh, obviously the big big man scored as well. It did. Um, which kind of cemented his folklore straight away. But um, obviously, you know, you know my stories about, you know, Duncan Fitz. Shirt you know, off, flexing bicep. Exactly, which he also did uh, later on this season against Man United when we won one nil. Uh, that's the the famous one where he's whirling his his shirt around. Mikey Rose's eyes. I tell you what, as I've done the uh, the, the the results for um, Mike Walker, I'll go through Joe Royals, which sounds a lot better. Uh, so it went win, 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 draw, draw, loss, win, loss, win, draw, win. Draw, win, loss, win, draw, win, loss, win, draw, loss, win, draw, win, 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 draw, 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 win, draw, win. I think we lost like six games in 36. Under? Under Joe Rawls. That's really good. 
A lot of points yeah. being picked up there, to be fair. The, yeah. the thing that comes you finished 15th, right? Finished 15th. And we bear in mind, I think, you know, as Woods said, you know, the, the start was shambolic. And as you probably gather by the amount of losses, I said, we had, we had eight points on the board when he, when he came in. And this is when the Premier League had 22 teams in the league. And Last we, uh, we season fa- off. Firmly bought them. Yeah. Last was. season off. Four teams Four got teams went, two came up. Might be worth noting that for next season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, we, we have played with 22 before and we've also then got back down to 20 after a season. So uh, there are possibilities available to the Premier League. Yeah, it, ultimately Everton finished on 50 points, um, which was only four behind Chelsea and one behind Arsenal. So it shows where those two clubs were at that time. <laughs> Um, we, we got labelled uh, dogs of war because basically our game was just to basically kick the shit out of people in centre midfield, I think. Well, and um, we had big dunk up front as well. So you, know, you can imagine our style of football wasn't probably pretty on the eye. No, your cup run, you conceded one goal. One goal, and that was a penalty. It was, Jurgen Klinsmann. A soft penalty as well. It was, yeah. Teddy that... Sheringham flopped. Uh, flopped hard. Flopped harder than Van Nistelrooy. <laughs> he's taking shots at you, Mike. It's bullshit. <laughs> he's he's feeling bullshit. himself sitting next to you because he knows what's coming. So it seems that Everton, obviously, like um, they probably had high aspirations coming into the season. They went to shit immediately. Joe Royal comes in, saves the show, um, and ultimately uh, carries the team to the FA Cup final. At the same time, the reigning double champions, so that's the reigning Premier League and FA Cup champions, um, Fergie's great, or first great Manchester United team, um, Favourites probably for the Premier League, although going up against uh, Jack Walker's expensively assembled uh, Blackburn Rovers team, including, I think, British record transfer signing Chris Sutton, who came in that season to form the uh, SAS Spark. The SAS partnership. <laughs> with, with, te- uh, with, with obviously Alan Shearer. Uh, when I was, you, know, you know, at this stage of my life, I was nine or eight, nine years old. Do you know who one of my best friends was? A Blackburn fan. You know what? Madness. I, uh, there's a guy that I used to play football with for years and he was a Blackburn fan and I kind of feel that Blackburn fans are proof do not be glory hunters right yeah. <laughs> because now look like at the time you're riding high you've got Sheeran sharing them oh, sorry, sorry, Sheeran, sorry. Sheeran Sutton it's all wonderful but now you're like in what is it they league one now no I think they're back, back up in the, in championship. the championships my favourite thing about it was that when they... They're struggling hard, though. They're, they're a team that's financially fucked. They are, yeah. When they sold uh, Alan Shearer and then they got in Kevin Gallagher, it went from <laughs> SAS to the gas. Didn't they get Roy Hodgson in as manager oh, as well? No yes, it was no Roy that actually started the, the complete downfall. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so obviously Manchester United are going toe-to-toe with those. Um Mikey, take us through Manchester United season. <laughs> because so, there's some interesting stuff that happened in this one. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mad season, really, because obviously, as Lee mentioned earlier on, um, there was no transfer window, so you could sign kind of whoever you want. So I'll, I'll go through some of the signings that happened throughout the season. So obviously, did, we, we, we got rid of Dion Dublin. Nice, nice to, little profit on that, right? Off to Coventry yeah, for a couple not, million. About two, 2.7 million, actually, Dion Dublin. We exchanged uh, Keith Gillespie, who was rated at 1 million, and also paid eight eight point six four million for Andy Cole. Andy Cole came in in January. Transfer um, that was a transfer record at the time. I I remember I remember that happening. I remember I I came home from I don't, I'm sure I came home from school and my dad told me he was like we've signed Andy Cole and I was like what what do you mean we've signed Andy Cole I went on Tay text and there it was <laughs> Cole the goal. Cole the goal mate. For, Cole fortunately goal. for for us uh, from an Everson's perspective you. Um, well, Andy Cole had played for in the third round That's of the right. FA Cup, 
for Newcastle, which was which was yeah, quite it was bullshit, mate. which wouldn't have necessarily bullshit. been a problem in itself had something else not happened. A far bigger event. A far bigger well, event that happened a fortnight we'll let, later. We'll let him get to it. Get into that. Get into that. Um, we also signed David May. From Blackburn. Who on, I, so I can't believe he carried on playing it until like 99. Like he was in that... Like Watching that game, the FA Cup final, the slowest man I've ever seen. Well, we watched um, oh Tottenham, didn't we? We watched... Um, the Tottenham game when when you won it in '99. Yeah, that, that's right. That's the one I was. God, he was he was done by the knees. Yeah, he legs was, he were was gone. Completely cooked, man. Oh, David fucking May. David, Jesus Christ. David May is because I always remember that, that the the big wonderful picture. Uh, United European yep. champions. David May's big fat face front and center. Jose Basinga did the exact same thing. What's the deal with shit players ruining basically important moments? Uh, Apparently David May was a really nice guy to have around. I'm sure he was a lovely man. <laughs> you remember as well when John Terry came on with his full kit as well? Yeah. Uh, shit players, you know, just getting in the way. <laughs> the, uh, Ramirez actually now, explained that the other day that came up, but the club had told him that he had to have the kit on for the photos. So that's the rationale behind it. Okay, okay. <laughs> sure. um, now, crucially, in this season as well, now we only made really two signings that season, the aforementioned uh, Andy Cole and David May. But we also signed someone called Grant Brebner, who I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> who the fuck is Grant Brebner? To be fair, Everton has signed a couple of players I didn't know, so I just left them off the list because I was like, I have not Signed it from Hutchison Vale in from Scotland. Mate, I've that, never even heard of them. That guy is living the dream. Um, anyway, crucially, we also brought... This was the season we brought through Gary Neville, Nicky Butt, Paul That's Scholes. Right. David Beckham came back off loan from Preston and went back again to Preston. Um, and Phil Neville, they all came in... That was their kind of introduction, their, their their promotion into the first team. And results throughout the season kind of basically up until um, January, because we had a really good October, November. We had a, we went on a really good streak of wins in around October, November time. But January happened and we had a game against fucking Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. And obviously we all know what happened. Yeah. What, what happened, Everybody's Mikey? Kung Fu fighting. Basically, Eric Hansen and I lost his temper and Kung Fu kicked uh, a fan in, 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 in the crowd. Which, just saying it, just saying it out loud feels just bizarre. The it's one of those that... moments that I do remember as a kid, a kid quite vividly. You know, oh. I, remember, I remember the like the back pages. You yeah, know, man. Dad come home with the sun and just, you know, plastered all over the back. And you're like, fuck it. You know? It's just, it's one of them, it's one of them moments. Because obviously at the time... Um, I'd only really like, uh, we've said it on the show before, that the FA Cup final against Chelsea is my first real memory of, uh, you know, the, the first game I got obsessed with, you know, when I would literally come home after school and I would watch the entire FA Cup final before having dinner. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would just always watch that fucking game. And obviously because of that game, I, I developed an absolute, you know, love. Uh, Eric Hansner at that stage of my life was my idol. Do you know what I mean? He was a cool number seven Frenchman who was elegant but also a fucking madman and he was just cool as fuck you know what I mean and the prospect of then him not being there for quite some time um, was great well was terrifying right but we brought in Andy Cole because obviously the dream was a Cole-Cantonar partnership which on paper sounds fucking delightful and we'd obviously see that going on later on but all of a sudden now, we had a strike force compromising of, instead of Cantona, that glue that holded it, held everything together, it was Mark Hughes, uh, Andy Cole, and delicious Brian McClare. Eh? <laughs> Brian McClare. Now, do you want to know who our top goal scorer was that season? Bear in mind, Cantona, Can- look, uh, C- Cantona, Hughes, 
uh, McClare and Cole. Our top goal scorer that season was none of those four. Kinchelskis? It was Kinchelskis. Oh, yes. And do you know how many goals he got in all competitions? I've got to guess oh. something like 14. 15. Mm. Like, that's, which is just madness, right? Like, with that strike, that, 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 that force up front. Um, Ryan Giggs that season I was having a few injury problems. Um, I think this is where he started to feel his hamstring a bit. Obviously, un- not fit for the FA Cup final. Didn't start, um, did he? But the curious thing, after the, uh, after the Crystal Palace game, where obviously Cantona was public enemy number one, um, we then, the form after that wasn't the worst. What, in, that, in that time period, we did beat Ipswich Town 9-0, which stands as the record. Andy Cole with five goals. Andy Cole with five goals. Um, but the, uh, the, 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 so Andy, so Cantona, I should mention, he got fined 20 grand by his club, and 10,000 by the Football Association. I can't help but think that would be a little bit larger now. <laughs> Do you know what I think? Maybe, maybe a smidge. A smidge. Banned but though if he was racist, it would probably be uh, a lot less. He was banned from football for eight months. <laughs> Wasn't Rio Ferdinand banned for, like, well, how many months was Ferdinand banned for? I think it was eight, eight, months, was for eight, eight for, months for missing a drug for, test. For, for, for missing a drug test. Yeah. Like, not really the same, are they? But uh, it, it, I guess salaries might have been a bit different then. Um Oh, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. But so United, after after the Crystal Palace incident, how many games do you think we lost the remainder of the season? So how many did, did it you... happen in January? Happened in January. How many games do you have left, roughly? Oh, I don't know. Work out. <laughs> half of them. Um, about, about half of them. Yeah, about you know, half, just about yeah. half. So about 20 games left. Because we'll bear in mind, there's 22 teams in the league as well. So I reckon you lost... No, hang on, I've actually Four. got a table here to say how many you've lost in the but season. But don't fucking say, that. just cheating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'll, go, I'll, I'll have Woods as four. Two. That's pretty impressive, well, isn't we it? We literally only lost to Liverpool and Everton. However, one of the big problems is, is that we didn't score in five games. So you drew a lot of games. For yeah, that, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. that we, we lost so, we drew so many games, man. Yeah, you got ten. Because of course that was the, the kicker, season. right? That was the kicker. Jumping that forward kicker. to the last day of the season where uh, Blackburn went to, to Anfield and obviously Manchester United went to Upton Park. Um, it was a case that United just couldn't find the crucial winner on the day because Liverpool, <laughs> it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because obviously uh, they spoke about this on match of their day with Alan Shearer at the weekend. And um, it is interesting that they went into that game um, I think they did. They need to win still uh, to guarantee it. I think a draw wouldn't have been enough had Manchester United won because it was only one point in the end. It's only yeah. one point yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, and obviously um, Liverpool equalised after Shearer took the lead. Um, and at that time, I think Manchester United were probably drawing as well. Um, mm. So you can imagine there was a lot of nerves from Blackburn fans, but also Liverpool fans at the prospect of stopping uh, or gifting the title to Manchester United. But also on top of that. Preventing their hero, <laughs> Kenny Daglish, winning, and it, there's an alternative universe where that happened. And instead of the jubilance that they got, so obviously uh, Redknapp scores a uh, 94th minute winner. It didn't matter because literally seconds later, the final whistle went at uh, Upton Park, uh, and the fans could all start celebrating all together. And you got this disgusting celebration amongst Liverpool fans and Blackburn fans and all the players and everyone having a great time. Uh, there's an alternative. Uh, universe where basically that didn't happen and Andy Cole did find a way past Steve Agrisovic um, Ludo McClosco oh sorry Ludo McClosco yeah Agrisovic being Coventry Coventry yeah. yes thank you um, is there a goalkeeper that I always hated back in those days Kevin Pressman oh. 
Sheffield Wednesday guy. Yeah, I couldn't stand Kevin Big Preston. Boy. Big had boy. Red, yeah. He always had red, blustery cheeks. Always aggravated me. But it's interesting because Blackburn were way down the road at one point. Way down the road. And United just kept reeling them in because Blackburn had a horrible run of results at one point. But uh, this is what happens when you have a, a, a goal scorer that's in form that scores goals. We had four goal. We had four strikers, and none of them really hit form this season. Shearer bagged thirty-four goals, I think, in the end. Yeah, you know, so that helps. I think it he was Sutton certainly chipped in as well. Yeah, he did. I think I'm just going to have a look what Sutton did. Um, so uh, Shearer thirty-four. Chris Sutton had fifteen. Um, now, I mean, Brian McClare. You know, obviously, you know, you know, I'm a great lover of of Chucky. Um, he got a very respectful in all competitions, eight in forty-seven. Very respectful. Eight in forty-seven. Very respectful. Um, <laughs> very respectful. Yeah. Now, he should have spent I've less got, time got... outside schools, though. Oh, come on. More time. You know, I've got I've got a stat about about about, about Brian McClare. <laughs> Can you stop <laughs> making this narrative that Brian McClare is some kind of fucking pervert? All right. God damn it! You guys suck. giving out the chocolate. Right, Brian McClare. <laughs> I'm going to give you a stat for Brian McClare to show you. How, how good he was, okay? When he joined Manchester United in the late 80s, in his first season, he scored 24 league goals, yeah? Becoming the first Manchester United player to surpass 20 league goals in one season since George Best in 1967-68 season. That is something that you can hang your hat on, yeah? So just looking at some stats here, uh, just some interesting things that kind of... Are they McClare-related stats? They're not, they're not Anishir related 34 oh, goals... Great. 13 assists, 47 combined goal contributions. That's pretty bloody good, isn't it? But uh, one that always he always stands out, uh, mainly because people believe he was a, a midfielder. Uh, Matt Letizia basically played where the fuck he wants. Um, 19 goals, 15 assists. For a shit team. For a shit team. That's, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Matt Letizia, Matt Letizia is just one of those players that we'll never see ever again. No, absolutely not. Can put the, the definition of luxury player. Absolutely, oh my god! But um, my I, god, we kind of covered up to the, the 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 fact that United obviously failed to win the league title, which left them ultimately with their single solo hope. That was the the FA Cup final. But before we move on to that, I just want to go through some important things that happened in the Premier League that season. You've obviously touched on Eric Cantona. That was that was the biggest moment. Uh, Dennis Wise uh, was convicted of uh, beating up a, a taxi driver. Uh, Paul Merson admitted <laughs> that he was an alcoholic, uh, a drug abuser and addicted to gambling. Um, Chris Armstrong failed a drugs test, um, but was back playing football four weeks later. And George Graham was sacked by Arsenal for basically taking uh, £400,000 in illegal payments to uh, secure the transfer of John Jensen to, to Arsenal. Um, it was quite a controversial season. Another controversy was the fact that the team which Everton beat in the FA Cup semi-final weren't even meant to be playing in the damn competition because Tottenham were banned. Um, they also had... Wait, what? I don't know this. Yeah, so this, this, this is sugar, isn't it? It's sugar. There's some financial <laughs> discrepancies or something about this that had happened, which meant that Spurs were banned from the FA Cup and they were docked originally 12 points. Um, then there was a whole falling out, I believe, with Sugar, who was chairman at the time, and um, El Tell, Terry Vanables, who was manager at the time, where he'd moved him on. Ardiles was manager at the start of the season. He'd eventually move on where Jerry Francis would come in. Um, I, I don't quite understand the full ins and outs of this, but ultimately Tottenham... 
uh, through through Sugar somehow managed to get themselves off the hook, should we say. Um, I believe that their fine was 600,000. It was one and a half million after the appeal. So I'm just, I'm not saying... I'm not saying they bought their way out of the penalty, but I'm definitely saying there's a chance that they bought their way out of the penalty. <laughs> You're not going to rule it out, are you? I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, they signed, crucially as well, they signed Jürgen Klinsmann that season. Uh, two million signing from AS Monaco. Um, they, he had an excellent um, first season in the Premier League. Uh, obviously came off the back of a slightly disappointing 94 World Cup for the German national team, uh, but came with a reputation of being diving. He embraced that with uh, the fact that Obviously, Teddy Sheringham had encouraged him to use his goal celebration, the, the classic diving celebration, which we all did. We all did for a long time after that. Uh, but it would ultimately end with Klinsmann uh, deciding to go play for Bayern Munich, which uh, resulted in Alan Sugar saying he wouldn't even wash his car with Klinsmann's shirt. So uh, that was fun. Um, but Tottenham did find their way to the, to the FA Cup semi-final. I'm just going to kind of go on a round-by-round, round, just the standout game. So uh, third round, uh, we'll start there because no one really cares about round one and two. Um, Leeds were dragged to a replay by Walsall. Uh, they eventually progressed through that. Arsenal were dumped out by Millwall um, in a replay. So Arsenal, Arsenal's season was an absolute disaster, by the way. A complete disaster. And Chelsea's season was such a disaster, it didn't even really turn up when I was watching the show. Like, they do not feature apart from Dennis Wise going to court. That's basically the only standout moment. Uh, bearing in mind, they had gone to the FA Cup final the year before. Uh, Liverpool required penalties to get past Birmingham. Uh, massive game in the third round, which was between Newcastle and Blackburn, which again went to... Re- so many replays. Uh, went to a replay... Uh, so. At that time, I believe that Blackburn and, and Newcastle were obviously vying for top spot in the Premier League with Manchester United. Cole the goal crucially playing in that game, as Lee's already touched on, uh, which would see him uh, cup-tied for the rest of the competition. But Newcastle did progress past Blackburn, ending their dreams of obviously going for a double. Um, Everton eased past Derby, uh, clean sheet, crucially. Um, and Manchester United uh, won a feisty contest against Sheffield United. Um Unsurprisingly, Eric Cantona involved in the feistiness, but also scored the goal of the competition in that game. A beautifully weighted lob um, to, to seal, seal a 2 0 victory. Uh, fourth round. It's a good goal. It's a really yeah. good goal. Uh, fourth round. I mean, at that time, like Eric Cantona was playing a different game to Sheffield United. That's what it looked like. <laughs> Uh, Liverpool required another replay to get past Burnley this time uh, Millwall continued taking scalps in London uh, dumping Chelsea out and penalties at Stamford Bridge uh, Everton got past Bristol City I believe it was uh, just a 1-0 victory but this was actually on a plastic pitch was it on a plastic pitch? yeah plastic pitch just still nice. existed in those days and it's an absolute rocket of a goal from uh, Matt Jackson Congra- congratulations Matt Jackson uh, <laughs> pod listener contributor uh, goal scorer. <laughs> uh, and after an initial scare at home against Wrexham, um, Manchester United did go on and absolutely drub them 5-2. Fifth round, um, Liverpool required a third replay uh, to pass Wimbledon. <laughs> this Liverpool team, by the way, they, I saw the team sheet at one point, it's just full of shit. Apart from, I believe, Fowler had just started to come in a Manaman, who looked so skinny. But Manaman was just tearing people, uh, like, I guess, kind of what Giggs was doing at the time as well, where it's just his pace and ability to run the, with the ball against fullbacks that had no... He wasn't no, an alcoholic. 
alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Fullbacks that have been Crucially, that, that is the thing that you need that sets you apart in those days. If you weren't an alcoholic, you were instantly... 70% fitter than everyone else. If you didn't smoke like 20 Marlborough after the game as well. But this is it. You look at where Manchester United kind of finished and where Arsenal were finishing. That that should sum that up. One of them was <laughs> drinking heavily still. Um, Spurs routed Southampton 6-2 in a replay. Everton destroyed Norwich 5-0. Uh, and Manchester United uh, won the War of the Roses against Leeds at Old Trafford in a, in a 3-1 victory. Um, into the quarterfinals, um, Spurs came back from behind at Anfield. Um beating Liverpool with a last-minute Klinsman goal. Palace uh, won, uh, where they dominated the replay versus Wolves. Everton uh, shut out Newcastle for another clean sheet. Um, Terrible game. Was it a terrible game? I watched it on TV, yeah, it was terrible. Um, But crucially, won. Uh, I guess this this Newcastle team at that point, Colas, but also without his replacement, I assume. Uh, So not the the power that they would go on to be the following season. They've got Keith Gillespie. Yeah, you know, and he was crucial to the transfer getting done, as Keegan was telling everyone. Um, <clears throat> Keith Gillespie didn't quite kick on how I believe Keegan probably thought he would. Um, and then, you know, he's past QPR at home because, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a layup. On to the semi-finals. Um, as we've already touched on, um, Everton played Tottenham um, at Ellen's Road. Correct. Back when the FA Cup semi-finals were not played at Wembley, which made them much better. Um and they blew Spurs away with uh, two late Amakachi goals. You say about obviously him not being a prolific scorer, but um, obviously scorer of kind of iconic goals, I guess. That's um, why he's a cult hero. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's obviously a significant thing about it as well, isn't it? Because he, uh, he subbed himself on, he didn't did he? He did sub himself on. What happened was uh, Rideout had got injured and he was going off, but he was signaling to say, that I'm fine, I'm going to come back on. But Amakachi was like, all oh, right, well, yeah, you're going off? I'm going on. And they uh, literally just strolled onto the pitch and Joe Royal was like, uh, uh, no, it's too late and he's gone. Big and, game uh, player, mate. Yeah. And McCatchy's like, I've got should've, this voice. Should have scored a hat-trick, actually. Well, <laughs> he missed a sitter in <laughs> stoppage time. But um, crucially ended Spurs. And also, by the because I read a bit about this at the time. I don't really remember this at the time because obviously being basically nine years old, I wouldn't have quite understood that basically Fleet Street wanted Tottenham and Manchester United to play each other uh, at Wembley in the FA Cup final. But obviously that was the dream final for, for those people at the time. So Everton secured their place. Meanwhile, at Villa Park, um, United required extra time. An equaliser from, uh, I think it was Gary Pallister in, in an extra time of the first leg. And then to get to a replay... Uh, this, this is weird, right? So the semi-final had extra time, but then because it finished 2 all after extra time because of a late goal from Pallister, uh, they would require a replay. It was in the replay, an ill-tempered game um, where the, the most standout moment, and I, I still remember this moment. Mikey would definitely still remember this moment. Um, Gareth Southgate, who I don't know why he's playing on the right side of defence at this point. He takes a horrendous touch. He does. Um, ends up going into a 50-50 with Roy Keane. Now, what I will say is other people may well have been a bit... It might have been pre-Roy Keane being completely like seen as a psychopath at this point, but but Gareth basically doesn't pull out. Neither of them pull out of a 50-50. Nothing done there, right? The ref then kind of blows for a free kick, but Southgate clearly doesn't hear this and just throws himself into a reckless tackle on Keane. Keane takes exception to this by stamping on Gareth Southgate, uh, seeing himself sent off. I'm amazed. By the way, like there's no way Southgate's not walking for that anymore. It was a fucking disgraceful tackle by Gareth Southgate. But but crucially, um, Manchester United came through the replay against Palace 2-0 to set up 
the Wembley date between Everton and Manchester United, the Collard versus Cardin Edwards derby on the biggest stage of all. Um, now, one note before we do go into that, I didn't realise this, but as a pre-match entertainment, they had legends of Manchester United play legends of Everton. What? On the pitch. No, seriously. And it's like, what the fuck is this? I, I only found this out because I was trying to find kind of extended highlights of, of the final to kind of, because I, 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 I didn't want to sit through 90 minutes of it, to be honest. And all I could find was basically uh, in the build-up, Manchester United legends played Everton legends. Now, crucially, Everton's legends won the game 1-0. That should have been basically given an indication to where this was going. Uh, but yes, so we get to the what final. What kind of legends did we have? Um, I didn't have a look at the team sheet, but there was people that were like in their sixties playing. Ah, um, but uh, as you've already touched on, Eric not playing, Andy Cole cup tied, uh, big players to be missing in a, into a cup final. But nonetheless, Manchester United probably entering and Giggs. Giggs didn't start either. You know, and, and Kinchelskis was out as well. He was. They're, they're their leading goal scorer. Yeah. So, so United missing a lot of key players um, coming off a disappointing end of the season. Uh, only opportunity of silverware, but still probably favourites because they're Manchester United at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we go on to the final. So where where do you want to start? <laughs> um, I don't know because we kind of covered it, didn't we, early in terms of just summarising in one word, brutality. Um, uh, the, 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 the... Sorry, from a Manchester United perspective, um, without I mean I said this to you throughout the game we had no one with any vision in that midfield whatsoever we, we lined up with uh, Keane Ince who was abysmal boy you had a bad game oh he was bad that was his last game right this is his last game anyway mm. um, but Paul Ince had a really really bad game um, Keane was in there but as you mentioned he's quite young he's very, very young at that point um, Nicky Butt was on the right hand side midfield probably man of the match was probably man of the match um, he uh, somehow I didn't realise he could dribble the ball quite well at times he had some nice control he also flew into some tackles as well yeah they they, they all did to be fair but uh, yeah he didn't hold back that's probably why he was uh, he stood our out. man of the match he, yeah, out, he really I mean, did get stuck in and um, he did win the majority of his tackles we had Lee Sharp on the left hand side who was shit, shit. really ineffective that day um, Dennis Irwin was solid on the left Gary Neville obviously very young you know, he was all right on the right. Midfield two of Bruce and Palliston. Now Bruce pulls up after about, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Yeah. Um, what looks like a hammy. Um, why, why he thinks he can he can run it off? He literally tries to run it off for the entire for the rest of the, the half. Who's on the, the whole bench, half? though, to come on? Because at this point... Well, we had two Two subs, because that was the, the Skulls thing. and gigs. Yeah, this, I guess this is the problem, because he looks to the bench, and Fergie's probably going, you can't come off. Like, you're just going to have to play through it. Well, he ends up coming off. Um, and I, th- I think what they did was Roy Keane went to r- right back mm-hmm. and Gary Neville went into centre-half, I think. Jesus. Um, That's right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one because realistically, Nicky Butt should have gone to right back and or Lee Sharp or someone else should have played right back, basically. But, yeah, it was... Um, we just... when we obviously had uh, McLaren Hughes up front. Um, offering not, not a lot. Not really offering much. It was... Um, I will say McLeod had nice few little touches, but um, the we we just didn't create anything. It just feel, felt very, very, very flat. There were some nice bits of possession here and there, but there was nothing really thinking. Oh, we're going to score in a second. There was nothing, none of that. It played into Everton's hands because essentially, as I said earlier, we um, we had like this dogs of war tag 
due to the way we were playing and the way we were picking up results. And um, that's kind of how the game panned out in a way. It was just, I felt Man United uh, got the probably more of the decisions, but it was just so feisty. But well, what seemed to be like feisty to us now, I don't know if it was feisty back then because the players didn't really seem to moan too much about it. Uh, pretty, pretty much every five or ten minutes, one of us was going, fucking hell, whoa. Like it was just. I, I, I would say probably Joe Parkinson was our, our man in the match in the centre park. Probably him and Nicky Butt were the standout Limpar players. Limpar was good. Limpar was good in flashes. He he was one that broke away for the goal. Mm. Um, and then Graham Stewart uh, leans back and probably a little bit too much, and then luckily hits the underside of the bar, bounces <laughs> yeah. out. Probably this is where Bruce should have been subbed because he's got no movement. He's kind of just in no man's land. Yeah. He's not near the play. He's not, I think he's trying to get to the line, but he's not quite on the no, line. Yeah. It's just to allow us for a ride out to head it over him, essentially. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Breakaway think, goal, though, right? Because of an errant pass by Paul Lintz. Paul, Paul Lintz, yeah. Then, which uh, kind of summed up his game, weren't it? Yeah, he, he was, was not at the races. His dreadful. passes was awful. He's, he, what, you know, when you think of Paul Lintz, you think, oh, he's a hard man, he's a tackler. Didn't, it wasn't really evident in and the, the game. Thing, the thing is, they gave him the armband in the second half when Bruce went off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I assume that was to maybe galvanise him to get in, um, the captain in the FA Cup final. And he shrunk even more. Maybe because he knew, maybe maybe mentally he wasn't there because he knew he was off in the summer. I don't know when he was told this. I know he's, he's spoken about the story before and obviously didn't want to go, uh, but the money was too much uh, for him to turn down. Um, so I'm not too sure when, when that was communicated. It's interesting that he was so bad. So bad. The, 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 the game itself was one thing. I, one of the kind of impressions I did get from it. One of the things that is kind of it reminded me of my childhood in terms of Wembley. Yeah. And a cup final being at Wembley, um, it was it was a quite a, a very very nostalgic feeling. You watch games now at like the new Wembley, and they all look the same, you know. But I don't know with old Wembley, you knew it, it even just by looking at the pitch. You knew it was Wembley, yeah. and it felt. Special. It felt really special, you know. And watch, even watching that game, the, the 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 fans being miles away from the pitch, and it just felt like it was. But it, looked, it felt like it meant a lot to the fans yeah, as well. It really, so much. Really like meant the a lot fans were really into the game. Um, the ones that weren't well, chugging <laughs> cigarettes in the stands, which yeah. we saw countless times. Just is fans in the stands having. A, That's a mad, isn't it? I know it seems so weird. One thing I would say is that we were lucky that you weren't blessed with pace that day because when gigs did come on at yeah. half time, he did liven your team up, and we were. Well, I'll go for Everton's team. We had Ablett, Unsworth, Watson, and Matt Jackson uh, in defence. Uh, Andy Hinchcliffe was playing in left midfield that day, along with Horn, who was poor Barry Horn. Uh, Joe Parkinson, Anders Limpart, Graham Stewart, and then Paul Rydell up front. Um, we we didn't have a lot of pace in that team, and luckily no. you didn't have a lot of pace no. apart from when gigs come on at half time. And yeah, we, he he did kind of. Well, you would expect Man United to take the game to Everton in the second half anyway, because you know we, they were one 0 down. But uh, I wouldn't say there was that many chances, no. as you said. That you know, I think Paul Paul Scholes had a a good chance where. Uh, Neville Selfall pulled off a double save, but to be honest, apart from that, there wasn't really that. There wasn't that much quality throughout the game, really. No. There was a time when Amakachi towards the end was clean through on goal <laughs> almost, but then just kind of nothing happened. And you remember the other one as well, with Graham Stewart again. He's bombing forward. He's we're on the counter attack, and he literally stops and goes, "No, I'm going to turn back and literally. play a forty-yard ball backwards." <laughs> it was genuinely amazing. And it was he's, just like he's on the what? pretty much approaching the edge of our area, right? And his players got, rushing, players him. rushing him to support, and he just turns around. And Lee's not exaggerating here; he literally booms it forty yards backwards. <laughs> I was like, "What? What are you doing?" Um, I would say uh, 
Unsworth had a really good game. He uh, really uh, marshaled uh, Mark Hughes really well. He, he, Mark Hughes was just crying and whinging throughout the whole game, wasn't he? Nothing well, was going this, his way. And this is kind of what I wanted to then get onto because obviously, from a Man United perspective, you know, I look back at that season and that was a very important season in the history of Manchester United because we ended up getting rid of Ince, uh, Hughes, and Kanchelskis. You know, Kanchelskis being the top well, goal scorer. Exactly. I mean, I was, I was about to say. And, and ironically, he comes to Everton. Yeah. And, and well. Mark Hughes came to Chelsea and he's actually um, a crucial player for the football club in terms of the success that Chelsea would actually have after that. Uh, I'm not too sure how Kanchelski's got on at Everton. Uh, 16 goals, uh, top goal scorer, 16 goals. I think he so, came yeah. in like the top 10 so in the Premier League that year. I mean, Fergie wasn't getting rid of these players because they weren't good players. No, no, and that's the thing. They're not, not, not at all. But I think, you know, the class of 92 has been banded about so much that I think a lot of people do, do forget like because it's quite annoying because everyone talks about it all the fucking time, you do forget how mad it was at the time. I, mean, I remember being as, as as a kid and it was like, oh, we're, we're selling Kanchelskis, Ince, and Hughes, and now we've got, you know, because <clears throat> I hadn't even heard of David Beckham back then. You know what I mean? He yeah. spent the season alone at fucking Preston or wherever it was, and you know, you've you, you're uh, Paul Parker phased out. Yeah, Gary Neville's the fixture. Um, Skulls. Um, basically replaced well no not really but is the one that really replaced Ince a lot of the times Skulls would play predominantly more further forward as a striker yeah. or a number 10 um, he took McClare's place because McClare by that point was, was coming to an end of his career anyway I mean McClare played for another couple of yeah, seasons he was, there, you know? crucially uh, gave the assist to David Beckham uh, and Eric Cantona for the lob yeah so <laughs> played part in two of United's most iconic goals old Chockey <laughs> exactly mate great great player um, and so for us, it was a very much a trans... I mean, you look at the see the form in the season, right? Lots of draws, can't score, very much indicative of young players coming in um, and, and, and maybe older players being a bit complacent. Yeah. And I think Ferguson took the, took the you know, notion that, you know what, I want to put my faith in the youth because the young players, or the, you know, they've got still something to prove. The older players, they just won the double and they've won the league a couple of times now. They ain't got nothing to prove now. And in that in that that season before ninety four ninety five, that was the season where Brian Robson had obviously chipped off as well. Uh, I think he was thirty seven at the time, gone to Middlesbrough. Uh, Mike Phelan, he was a, he was a casualty. Thirty one year old Mike Phelan, he went. Um, and I think Robbie Savage also left that season before as well. So, but this was a very much a turning into a new era for the club. And you know, you look at the start of the ninety five ninety six season. You got smashed three one. Don't win anything with kids, yeah. you know, and that's um it's crazy really how it all then panned out for us because it is a stroke of luck. It is a bit element of luck. Um I, I think as well Ferguson's lucky that he had he built up some bank by that point as well, because yeah. you'd won trophies. Um you obviously picked up a couple of titles um beforehand and I think even before like in the early nineties you still like you won a cup winners' cup or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I did, yeah. And, and, and an FA Cup or something like that. Um I don't think if, if if you hadn't got those trophies, I think he, would he have had the bravery? I th- I'm not. I'm, mm. Maybe not. Um, I mean, I think you look back in that time period. And obviously, Wood said this earlier. Managers got given time. Mm, you know, that, that's the thing. Managers do do get given time. Whether Ferg would be so brave, but the thing is, if the players hadn't won the trophies, would they would their performances have dipped to the level they had done? Do you know what I mean? So there's it's kind of chicken and egg here. You know, I think he was reactive to the situation. He knew that he had a potential, you know, he had some young players coming through that were, you know, I know Woods has used this term before for Jaden Sancho, but they were generational talents. You know, David Beckham and Paul Scholes, 
give over, mate. Do you know what I mean? That's two of the best players to ever play for England. You, you always had to uh, shift that culture. We spoke about the drinking in the 90s. Absolutely. Whilst, uh, which I said, like, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea maybe were a lot worse. Man United still had that very much, you know, with those players we're talking about, maybe like a Hughes, uh, McClare, etc. Um, even Ince as well. So to, to shift them on and maybe bring in some new blood, maybe a bit more professional thinking, a bit more focused and, you know, yeah, as you said as well, has something to prove. Yeah, and that's, you know, Ferguson always talked about that throughout his, and, and Roy Keane says that a lot in his books, it's the hunger. You know, I remember when, after with the treble season, um, Roy Keane's in the changing room and he heard some of the guys laughing and joking, saying it doesn't matter if they never win anything again because they've won it all now. And, you know, in his book, he's like, he's disgusted. <laughs> you know? And there is that element of, of a sportsman. That's why they say is the hardest, one of the hardest things to do is, 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 is repeat. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know? Blackburn finished seventh the following season after winning the title. Now, there was uh, other factors in that. Kenny Dalglish, I believe, retired on the eve of the season, which would have obviously knocked them. And obviously, there's other factors to remember that Newcastle bottled a 12-point lead as well. But um, it was a really important moment. And you kind of wonder, had United scored a goal um, at Upton Park, won the title, um, scored a goal at Wembley maybe in obviously won the, the, another double, go double-double, would, would Fergie have been able to, to go with his conviction that he'd already uh, was so successful? Because you saw the, the, the fruit that it bared for, for Manchester United for the, the f- well, you kind of think about the decade after, really, with, with Dude, those players. I, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a season review book, which I've got. I can look at it now. I can think I can see it from here, uh, from the 95-96 season. And... Uh, I read that book to cover to cover a thousand times as a kid. I know all the games off by heart. I wish we would covered that season too, honestly, because I know that season a lot better. <laughs> yeah. In any event, though, there's no fun for me, though. No, no, there's no fun for you. Um, in the uh, build-up to the season, obviously, they cover the fact that you know me and I have left. Lot, you know, all these players have gone, and some of the fucking press cuttings, man, savaged. Savage for this decision to do to get rid of three experienced pros and replace them. Well, the fans weren't happy either. The fans weren't happy. No one was happy about this. It was amazing, isn't it? Really. And I was just, I I was thinking about this. Could you imagine if that happened now? All they had to deal with at the time was the press, essentially. Like social media and just the level of just. My God, could you imagine the meltdowns? The fans could only voice it would their be, opinion. It would be the equivalent of Manchester City, let's say the coronavirus hasn't happened and, they were, and they'd lost the title this season. It would be the equivalent of them getting rid of basically Aguero, De Bruyne and like, you know, Silva or someone and just going, Yo, do you know what I mean? And just like getting rid of their three best players and going, let's now Phil Foden is the man. You know what I mean? And, mm. and whoever is, you know, it's the equivalent of something mad like that where you go, wait a second. That's 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 a ridiculous change to have all, well, happen all at once. We've sat on this pod, though, haven't we? We've discussed things like Phil Foden, like you know, does he get enough game time? You know, is he is he being managed correctly? And you know, we're all led to believe you know he's being coached by the best best coach in the world. So therefore, you know, he should be learning. But when you look back at like say with the United ninety two, you know, uh, squad or whatever, you know, the one that came through in the mid nineties, that they all got game time. They all got game time. And crucially, they were also bled in in the '95 season. Other than the Beckham, um, they obviously yeah, all... yeah, they, they were they were all bled in again. I, I, I just mean I, they were bled in for one season, and then you saw it like you know the fruit bear like afterwards. But exactly, um, it was a very bold move. Um, so obviously, Manchester United came off what was a disappointing season in '94, '95 to, to go from strength to strength. Um, Everton the following season, we did all right. So we finished sixth. That's not bad. 
And then it all went uh, wrong after that because then the following season, the um, Joe Royal wasn't backed. Um, we wanted to sign Tor Andre Flo. Hey, um, Chelsea icon, mate. Our, our chairman at the time said no, and so therefore, like Joe Royal was like, "Fuck this," and fucked off, and then kind of left us with a yes, another relegation battle to fight. Who is your manager? Uh, Howard Kendall came oh, in. Howard Kendall, yeah. And that was so the icon season of... when Farrelly scored. Gareth Farrelly scored against Coventry in the last game of the season. Gosh. So, that, I mean, Kendall was a club icon as a manager, right, before then? He yeah, was, he'd, he'd already won in the... He was he our was, manager in the 80s. In the 80s. So he's the one that obviously was crucial to that story. So it's interesting. Ultimately, as well, talking about the 95 FA Cup, because um, the next pod we're going to do, hopefully... Is the one that I'm going to get to do, which is obviously talking about my favourite memory. So we obviously covered Everton on yours. So I get to do mine, uh, but it's an it's an important moment that actually happened on the morning after this FA Cup final, and ultimately Everton winning this FA Cup final was um, a catalyst into Chelsea changing uh, their approach as a football club from being basically. Uh, and also ran mid-table potential relegation fight team uh, to commit in spending to to compete because they'd seen what was possible because obviously Everton winning an FA Cup. Uh, they'd seen what was possible because obviously Black Ken, well. uh, Ken Bates uh, and Matthew Harding um, together with Glenn um, at the time as well. And, and that's obviously where we end up with, with Mark Hughes coming in. Um, I think Rude Hullett would be also joining that summer as well. Kind of a complete transformation of the club. Um, which... I remember Rude Hullett signing it. It was big news. Yeah. Even yeah. though he was coming towards the end of the career, the fact was you were signing how, Rude Hullett. How old was he when he joined Chelsea? <laughs> I'd need to have a look. Um, I'm going to guess he must have been early 30s. I'm going to say 32. Yeah. Uh, in that... I mean, there's some moments also before that which are crucial, which we'll cover in, in the next podcast we'll talk about. But it's quite interesting that... Every... <clears throat> This story somehow into kind of weaves itself with the Chelsea story, which we'll, we'll hopefully do next week. Um, we've not quite decided as to what one we're going to do for for Mikey because he's so blessed that he's got three three different eras he can talk about. Um, yeah. So I think he's got to decide which one he's going to do. I can't work out how old he was. Um. um well, well, I mean, so what? So, hang on, let me get this straight. So, what is your? So, I, I'm going to. Are, co- are you keeping it a secret, or are you? I'll say it now. I'm going to. I'm going to cover the, the the our first league title season, um, which would of have course. been, yeah, oh four oh five. Um, so, but, when Chelsea become Chelsea, yeah, basically, um, and everything kind of. There, there, there's some. There's a prologue that leads into this, right? Um, which starts at the, the the start of the '90s with with Ken Bates. Um, and Matthew Harding, and then obviously the transformation of the club from where they were at the start of the 90s to being um, an in vogue club by the mid uh, late 90s with um, foreign imports, Zola, Di Matteo, Root obviously being crucial as well. Um, to a club crucially about Le Beef here. Obviously, Le Beef as well, important sign, and the player that was very much in demand that was convinced that uh, West London was where he should be playing. Did you say Desai as well? Desai, he was a little bit later, but yeah, Marcel would come in. Um, we'd obviously we'd win some silverware, uh, and then obviously the the big moment obviously would be uh, we'd play some European football, but um, Roman Abramovich, and obviously the story as to how he came in. Uh, revolutionised football in this country um, because it hasn't been the same since um, and everything that would then lead us to having 
uh, Jose Mourinho and uh, that that wonderful football team that I believe conceded just 15 league goals this season, that season. A season where they dominated and I think there's a chance that if Mikey picks a certain era of Manchester United that that will actually lead into your era. Uh, you know what I'm picking, of course it is. Um, which forced Fergie's hand to go again, basically. So yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting that the, that the stories do kind of flow into one another. Uh, there's important things that come out of it. But um, I'm just going to fuck you all. I'm going for the 95-96 season. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. I will be covering that around 08-09. That, yeah. That'll be when I... That exceptional my... football team. Like, to me, they're still the best team that's played in the Premier League era. Um, people like to talk about Invincibles. That Chelsea team, I love that Chelsea team. And... Uh, and Chelsea had a team that was really, really good. And this is why I hold that United team so high is because that Chelsea team that they were beating to league titles at the time were fucking exceptional. They were a remarkable football team, but they just couldn't get past that Manchester United team. Um, and, and I don't think we've seen anything close to it. I don't want to hear about this Liverpool team or the Centurions because I just don't think they've got a chance. <laughs> on, on that note, on that note, because uh, <laughs> we've, we've gone long here, well, it's hour 16, whatever. Um, on that note, uh, we watched a, a, a show on Sky Sports yesterday, and it was basically it was Monday best, Night Football. But it was like the best of Monday Night Football featuring Everett and Keane, right? So the oh, first right. fifteen minutes was just Everett, the last fifteen minutes was Keane, and um, the Everett one was incredible anyway because that guy is just I love Very him, good. I love him beyond belief, right? The Roy Keane one, uh, it was basically uh, so they were, they were, he had to basically him and Carragher had to pick a, a joint eleven out of the current Liverpool team and the treble winning Man United team. Yes, yes, I've seen this. It's wonderful TV. Oh my God. Wonderful TV. If you can, listening, loyal, glorious listeners, can you just look it up, right? You don't even need sound for some of it. You can just watch his facial expressions and you can almost guess what he's saying. You just need the the visuals of what player they're talking about and then uh, then Phil Neville going, like, uh, well, I've got all the Neville's in my head. Uh, Roy Keane just like... Bewilderment at some of uh, um, Carragher's choices. It was, when, it was when he goes, really? And then he just kind of looks at him, and there's just about four seconds of just oh, dead air. Yeah, because the and thing it's is, just kid's face, like just what? And you see as well, Carragher's getting a bead on as well. He's proper sweating. He's he's, he's getting a bit panicky. Well, Carragher tried his best to not be biased and try yeah. and make it. And, and then Keen had no interest. And in Keen had no interest because the thing is crucially, Roy Keane captained that team. And that's Therefore, what referring to those He's are like his Mike boys. Royalty. He ain't gonna pick anyone over them. They want a treble. I ain't picking no one over none of these players. And, yeah, and this the thing is, is, I was gonna say like when they, when they were talking about gigs over Mane, that that is when it was peaking as well because like he was making a good point. He was like, I'm just talking about one season only. So in '99, Giggs scored only four goals. Yeah, but look what he done over his career. And then he was like, but Mane hasn't finished his career. And it was just going back and forth. And it was just like, but Giggs only scored four goals. Yeah, but Giggs done it consistently. And it was just, yeah, it was Roy brilliant. Roy Keane loves nothing more to shithouse a conversation, though, because Roy Keane also has been on TV and said of Ryan Giggs, just because you had a great career doesn't make you a great player. Yeah. So... So don't, the, the thing is, Roy Keane. Roy Keane loves being Roy Keane. I think that, I'm, and I, I love him. And for I love it. it. I love okay. him for it. I really do as well. I'm so happy he's away from the managerial gig because it ain't him. Him basically playing the character of Roy Keane on my TV every week when the football season comes back is what I need. That's all I need. I love him. I absolutely love him. The, the brief period where you had him and Mourinho in the studio. Oh, so good. Just, 
Because Mourinho was the only person that... Because when you watch it, it's brilliant when you watch Roy Kinnan's studio because if he's not interested, he ain't looking. Right? <laughs> He'll look away. He'll just And the amount of times like Neville's speaking, Cara's speaking, Suna's speaking, not even looking at them. Doesn't want to hear it. When Mourinho was talking, Roy Keane would look at him. And he just basically... Because Roy Keane held Mourinho's um, opinions on football so high that yeah. he respected things that we said. And the thing was, Jose Mourinho was excellent as a studio pundit. We need to get him out of Tottenham. Look, he's, he's in there doing God's work right now. He's completely tearing the club <laughs> apart from the inside. But like, as soon as we get him back in the Sky Studio, the better. So is that a show? I think that's a show. Obviously, look, there's no winners and losers this week. Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm picking my winner. Oh, go on then. Uh, so I've got, I've got a player to pick here. Who can I pick? So Paul Ryder, obviously scoring an incredible goal. Yeah, it's, it's a good show. Joe Parkinson dominating the middle of the park. David Unsworth shackling. You guys never had the ball the in the middle of the park. God damn it. <laughs> Neither team had the ball in the middle of the park because it was just going over there. I, I will say, my, just one last note. <laughs> what, the one thing I did notice the most out of everything about that cup final was just the attitude towards what goalkeepers could do, right? Was this the game as well where we saw the, the throw-in? Yeah, yeah, it was when Neville... You, you, could pick, you, you could pick up the ball from a throw-in. It was like, what? Yeah, that, that really took, took us off guard completely. Um, but every time Salville or Schmeichel got the ball, whether, like, whenever they had it in their hands, it was just, okay, boys, drop back. And it was just... Every, everyone laps, lines up in a line, basically, on their own 18-yard box and waits for the ball to get pumped up. And it is, it is a pump-up. It's, it's a it's like, pump. Right, you're a big guy. I'm going to aim it in your direction, sort of. There's no, like, Alessandra Edison passing or even no, Jordan no. Pickford. It's literally just lump. You know, how, how are you remember kicking a ball as well as a kid? How? You, know, you, you have it in your hands and you kind of throw it up a little bit and then kick it. You just launch it. <laughs> it's basically how Oliver Kahn kicks it on Provo. Yes, Frustrating. Yes, very frustrating. Because he was in Woods' team as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your winner is who? Uh, Paul Rideout. Okay then, cool. Who's your loser? Um, I'll go for Mark Hughes because I get to talk about Mark Hughes again. And he's my, my <laughs> loser or my chump. Uh, he was whinging the whole game. It was, was. Like I said several times, he was shackled by a young David Unsworth, old rhino. So yeah, my, my, my chump is definitely Mark Hughes. Before we finish, can I ask you... like? The, the serious question, right? Because we're, we're, we're a show about emotion here, yeah? <laughs> Football brings out emotions in all of us. And looking back, knowing as you do now, that this is literally the only thing you've won in your, in, that, that, that you can remember in your lifetime, right? How does it feel? Um, like watching that game on Sunday, how did it feel we're looking, watching that back? Because you've never seen the final, right? Fully. I've never watched the final through... Like that, yeah, not not for literally every single minute or second. Um, I, I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I've kind of lived it, so I've got accustomed to it, used to it. Even before that, that final, we hadn't won a trophy in eight years, and it, it was you know ridiculous that Evan had gone eight years without a trophy. Now it's just like, well, we've done that like nearly three times over. Well, we have done it three times over. So, yeah, it's it's, it's the norm. I mean, it's, it's, it's gussing that, you know, that is our last trophy, and there have been a few glimpses here and there during uh, during that period uh, obviously Chelsea beat us in the final um, I think you beat us in the semi-final with Liverpool beat us in the semi-final so we, we, we've been close but yeah we just don't know we've got that mentality I don't I don't think that uh, well I think that we're, we're never going to be elite an elite club so that's just why, on that point there, just, uh, just on that point so we obviously spoke at the start of the podcast about um, how transfers may well go in this new world 
Um, my understanding is FFP will be relaxed for the 12 months, obviously, after. That's very important for clubs that have wealthy owners that like to dip their hands in their pockets. We know that one football club that has that situation but hasn't been able to kind of um, execute that because of FFP uh, restrictions is Everton. Mm-hmm. So just saying, never say Still never. Still got to attract the player though as well. Well, that's where Carlo comes in. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, never say never. I think if and when, well, it's not if, when we get back to playing football and when we finish this season and when we get to a transfer window, I think it's going to, Everton are going to be one of those clubs who are going to be really interesting to watch. Just because I could see them being in a situation where other clubs aren't because they have got a wealthy benefactor that can kind of go, here's a big lump of money. We ain't got to worry about this FFP uh, thing hanging over us. As you said, it's, it may well be a buyer's market for certain calibre of footballers as well. So they can probably go out and bully some teams into selling key carriers. they just got to make sure they buy the right player. That's the key There are thing. enough teams out there that haven't got the... Um don't have the, 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 the means to survive this type of global pandemic as well as Premier League clubs. Yes. And so there is going to be teams out there right before the plucking. Well, we look, look at La Liga, even the likes of Barcelona, they're, they're really struggling with this situation. <laughs> and this is La Liga, which is incredibly biased towards Real Madrid and, um, and Barcelona. So the rest of that league, they're, 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 you know, just for an example, there is some quality within that league yeah. that, you know, from you know, out there taking is. them two out of the equation. And like I said, even those... Even saying that, Barcelona are fucked anyway. They, they've literally got like zero cash. Real Madrid have got zero cash. They have to sell before they can buy. This yeah. is why James Rodriguez is linked to Everton, right? That's <laughs> yeah. Bale as well, right? No. I, I think he was the other one. I think the, the pair of them have been linked. Um, if you rock up, mate, in the new world with James Rodriguez and Gareth Bale, mate. Is that what we're going to dub it now as well? The new world. Well, it will be the new world. world. Welcome to the new world where Everton are basically this nouveau rich club. People, the Galacticos era of Goodison. All, all these people, like fans that were wearing sky blue are now wearing the blue of Everton as they move into their new waterfront stadium. Lee if you hear it, a load of Man City fans, how do you, like, how do you take that? <laughs> and it means that you can't go and see a game anymore because you've got loads of Man City fans buying up all the tickets. Maybe they don't buy tickets for their own game. Fair, that's fair. a fair point. Of, of all that the fans that jump point. ship, they're the right ones to have jump ship on because you're still going to be able to get your tickets. <laughs> this is fair. This is fair. Um, okay, cool. Well, there you go. Woods, do you have any winners and losers? Bear in mind you did a night. You reviewed the season. Yeah, the 95 season. I mean, obviously, I, I'd say Alan Shearer is a winner. Um, it Mr. was elbows. It, 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 it was the high point other than Euro '96 of his career. Um, I know he'll argue otherwise. There's um, been a lot of Alan Shearer on the TV over the last week. Have anyone noticed this? It, well, basically, because obviously match of the day are doing their top ten list, which are really quite interesting to watch, but completely yeah, non-surprising. You're going to ask Ian Wright and Alan Shearer to do their top goalkeeper list? Seriously? Of course, they're going to pick Schmeichel and Seaman. Um, and obviously then they did the match of their day and it happened to be Alan Shearer's. I'm assuming it'll be in Wright's next week, uh, which will be um, interesting to see what he picks. Um, but yeah, Alan Shearer, uh, highlight of his career. Uh, losers, chumps, um, probably Paul Ince because his career, although he went to Inter Milan and that's great, it was never the same afterwards. Um, and then he went to Liverpool as well. Uh, Fuck Paul Ince. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I made a comparison in that game. He played in that cup final game how he talks now. Stammery, no conviction, terrible. I feel that kind of Paul Lintz went from 
One eye looking over. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Ince was obviously a massive player for Manchester United, and I kind of feel that after that, uh, his career never hit the the high notes again. Um, Mark Hughes, I'm not going to say because he actually had a pretty good time at Chelsea. It was a successful time at Chelsea. Um, not as successful as his Manchester United time because obviously he won league titles there. But yeah, I, I'll say I'll say out of the players that United turfed out, Paul Ince was probably the one that never quite hit the. The high nights again, did he? What about yourself? Anyone? Um, it's hard, really. It is hard. I would say the winner... I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't really focus it around Manchester United so much. The loser is probably Paul Lintz because he was dog shit in that game. Like I said, he didn't go anywhere else. Um, you know, I've noted he didn't really do much. Um, it's hard. Though I would say the winner is probably just... Uh, Let's say Neville Southall. Do you know what, man? I'm so glad you said that, mate, because I've done so much research and I didn't get to talk about any of my research that I've done in the players. But <laughs> let's let's give you a bit of Neville Southall, yeah? So to go out game, on, I like this. I like to this. To go out on this, yeah. yeah. So he's just won the FA Cup 95, yeah. Fucks off home, doesn't bother celebrating with the players, literally just drives straight home, doesn't get involved at all. Uh, and then later on in, in his life, um, he decides that he wants his trophies back. Um, which he had given to his daughter, so he took her to court, which cost her six grand, just so he can get her tro- his trophies back or his medals. Well, why? Why did she have them? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just like oh, because I, I don't think he's, he's a bit of a mental man, old Neville. Uh, he's a bit eccentric. He probably was like, oh, you know, I don't fucking want it. You know, like how Jose gives away his medals when he was winning at Chelsea, just going in the crowd. Maybe it's like, it's like there you go, daughter. There you go. You can have your fucking. You can have my medal. But then realised later on that he wanted the back. Is there anything from your research else that you'd like to talk about? Uh, nah, not really. I mean, I've got Paul Rideout's clubs that he played for after, like Kansas City Wizards. Uh, he played for two random Chinese teams as well, which don't exist anymore. So, you know, just random stuff like that. David Unsworth got his only England cap uh, a month after that FA Cup final in the Umbro Cup against Japan. Oh, the Umbro Cup, mate. So England struggled a little bit in that. I remember we we had had, a, did we play Brazil? Yes, uh, I think mm. Graham Lasso scored a really good goal in that game. Um, Darren Anderson scored a quality equaliser against Sweden in a three-all draw. Um, but obviously that was a lead-up into to Euro '96, which I just Maybe. remembered now. Speaking of this, is that ITV and BBC are basically showing all of the games because we haven't got European Championships, um, and I am going to want to talk about that every week because. Uh, I'll get to basically relive the best football tournament of our life. And another idea for a future pod, maybe we should um, cover off all the like random tournaments that have happened, you know, like that we never talk about anymore. Le Tournoi. Exactly, Le Tournoi, uh, the Unbroke. I think there was one called like the Moroccan Cup or something like that as well. Um, we should do something like that. And maybe the, shove the UEFA Friendly League of super fucking wankers in there as well. <laughs> it's another tournament that no one gives a fuck about, apart from YouTube, apparently. Whoa, 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 whoa. And Cristiano, right? Cristiano definitely, whoop, that's another international tournament. Whomp, that's 2 0. It's like Jose claiming that, you know, the, uh, the charity. The treble, the treble, the free fit. I oh, mean, that, that's peak Jose, that is. That the United players are all celebrating. He gets in and goes, free fingers, guys. Remember, we won a fucking treble here. Love him. We, I, uh, we won three trophies that season. <laughs> Exactly. That's the free if thing. If Everton won a tr- fucking charity shield these days, mate, you'd be crowing about. Wait, it. Well, you say that we went and won the charity shield after the FA Cup. We beat Blackburn. Did you we, really? We pretty much got uh, Kenny Dalglish out. Did you really? Yeah. 
Finney Samways. So it's not so they're the last trophy you won. So technically, uh, yeah. Well, if we're doing a Jose, then yes, our last actual trophy was the what was then the Charity Shield. Wow. Wow, we on that bombshell. Let's end the fucking show. We've done pretty much ninety minutes. We've done a game of football. We have. We could watch that. FA I'm Cup assuming the listeners aren't got anything much to do, so they've got plenty of time to listen to it. No, well, this is the thing. This is where you're. I think you might be wrong here, friend. Oh really? <laughs> I, I ain't listen to no podcast because I ain't travelling nowhere. Oh, I've been listening to some stuff from um, a a podcast supplier. So. In the garden. I ain't, listen, I ain't listen to nothing, man. I don't have a garden. Well, the thing oh. is, is that you've got the capabilities. I was saying that. You're working. I mean, do you not like plug it in so you don't have to listen to him? No, I, I'm... I, I just, he just fucks off in another room altogether. <laughs> Lee basically gets the run of the living room, right? I, I, I am in my He hates room. it because I have the news channel on all day and he's like, oh, it's uh, just depressing. I mean, there, there is an element where it's quite depressing. Maybe what you could do is if you sit with your back to the TV and have a podcast in and Lee can then watch the news. No, well, the thing is, I have to have the news on, otherwise if I put Premier League years on or something like that, I end yeah, no up work. doing no work. No work, yeah. <laughs> just don't have the news on. Like, in the morning, yes. In the evening, yes. Get your brain away from it. Yeah, because I know it's nothing, you know, it's just the same stories being regurgitated. Once I've, uh, It's just background then, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> it baffles me. Um, let's get out of here. Yes, let's stop. Yeah, right. I'm hungry. Um, we'll see you guys <laughs> and girls. There's no girls listening to this. Um... We'll see you another time. When, when do you think you'll be able to do your Chelsea onewards? Next week, man. We're going to do another show next week. It's We're going hot, to have... It's hot, isn't it? Yeah. Let's fucking I'll do it, it then, yeah? Let's do it. And then... then... No, I'll do mine the week after. Boom. And that's... that's... Three weeks worth of shows. And then we can work out what we'll do after that. Yeah. We'll be doing the, the micro-tournament roundup. I have no interest in this, by the way. So, like, you guys can do that together. But as soon as he mentioned, like, you know, England free, Sweden free, I was like, oh, that sounds like a cracker. I'd love to watch that, you know, get involved. Well, I do. There is a website available where you can watch every fucking game from all time of yesteryear. Yes. Um, called Football. I can't remember what the year is. Link it. It's great, though. That's how we watched the cup final. Um, poor quality, but not all games are that poor quality. Mm. But anyway, let's get out Come of on, here. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's been a pleasure. Stay safe, Bye. people. Yeah, stay, stay safe. In, stay safe. Save lives. Boom. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have come in with something and I was like, nah. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.